For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello, welcome to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Uh, it is four years and two weeks since England lifted the Under-17 World Cup in India uh, with a team that included Phil Foden, Jaden Sancho, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Conor Gallagher, Mark Gurhey and Emil Smith-Rowe. Uh, 2017 was a bumper year for, for England's youth teams, uh, Under-17 and Under-20 World Cup winners, victors at the Toulon tournament as well as the Under-19 European Championships. The Under-17 World Cup uh, as a whole was a tournament we loved covering at Scouted uh, and, and four years on is one which we, we continue to refer back to, not just because of England's exploits, but also the players who've risen to prominence from other countries ever since. Uh, for that reason, it's Stephen Ganavas back on the pod. Uh, lots of rogue names we haven't discussed in years, probably. Uh, they'll be brought back up in the next half an hour or so, I'm sure. Uh, so very much looking forward to this one. Um, Steve, how's it going on the other side of the world? Ready for the recap? Yeah, yeah. This was this was one of probably one of the favorite like tournaments ever. This one it was just full of unreal players um, that have gone on to do some extraordinary things. But then there's some other interesting stories of players that were seemed like they were going to be world beaters then, but have kind of dropped off. It's yeah. I, I, the, the the fun thing about the uh, tournaments at under seventeen level is you can kind of get in early and then kind of track the different career paths and really get a a broader sense of the trends and. Um, yeah, what kind of moves affect different players in different ways? Yeah, I think it's about those moves, isn't it? You know, who gets a, it, that first move can be so so important, uh, particularly for for players coming from developing nations. Um, whether they go into somewhere which is development focused, or whether they've they've, they've maybe bit uh, at, at the, the the lucrative offer, um, I think is is, is an interesting um, interesting subplot to, to these tournaments or the. You know, following these tournaments, um, I suppose it, it's probably best to to start at the end, given that the it was England five, Spain two in that final at uh, the Under Seventeen World Cup. Um, it was a it was a rerun of of the European uh, the Under Seventeen Euros final, which Spain won uh, a few months earlier. Uh, they won that on penalties. Um, so a little bit of revenge for England on that day. Uh, I actually remember where I was watching it, which I think in the UK it was it was broadcast live on one of the terrestrial channels um so not not just on eurosport as it as the rest of the tournament was but i mean since since then you know it's it's i mean we kind of knew at that point that a select number of these england under 17s would would go on to seriously seriously good things um but that's not that's not obviously not been the case for all of them i, I listed off those five or six names at the beginning in, in the introduction um, you know your Fodens and your Sanchos and your Hudson Odois. You know they were they were pretty pretty clear. They were pretty standout uh, there, um, and they were already on that path on that trajectory. But there was a lot of a lot of grey area for 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 some other players in that squad where, you know, they still had to prove themselves at a club level. Um, and it's it's interesting to see now who was sort of an unused sub for most of the tournament, who's now a Premier League player, who was you know an integral first teamer for the 17s under Steve Cooper, who's now, you know, struggling to to get first team minutes elsewhere. Yeah, th- you're right. There were a few players before this tournament that were already not est- not established, but already on that path to to, to superstardom. For example, Sancho had already left 
uh, Manchester City to join uh, Dortmund uh, and already their exploits of the under-17 Euros a few months beforehand uh, were actually lost to Spain in the final. Uh, yeah, the likes of Sancho, Hudson-Odoi, Brewster were, were already dominating. Um, but I think that's one of the, the, just the depth of this team. You see the subs and you've got Conor Gallagher that, that couldn't get on the field. Um, uh, Angel Gomez of, of United fame now at, at Lille, who you know, was super highly rated coming through at United and, and could hardly get on the field. Um, it's Yeah, the team was was stacked. Even like guys like Danny Loder, who's now at Porto, um, you know, goalkeepers is Joe Bursic, who is at Stoke now playing regularly. That was the reserve keeper. Stephen Sessegnon at Fulham. Uh, Panzo that was at Chelsea and now now uh, Dijon. Uh, the captain, Latibodier, uh, who was a Man City Youth Academy product at the time. It's now gone on to to do quite well at Swansea. Mark Gurhey of Chelsea fame now at Palace. It's the, the amount of depth. At, at Normally at under-17 level, you have a few that go on to do some things, but you'll have a lot of a lot of you know players that some of them never really come established pros, um, but this team almost from from top to bottom uh, has have gone on to at least you know be senior players. Pretty much, nearly all of them have gone on to become senior players uh, at like Championship or Premier League level, um, which is pretty astonishing. And I think speaks to the strides that the English academy system almost universally has taken in the last probably. 10, 10 to 15 years. Yeah, and it's a similar story on the Spain side of things as well. Um, perhaps not as many uh, players sort of making it at at sort of La Liga 2 or, or, or La Liga level, but the, the ones who who were the standouts in that in that team, um, they've they've really established themselves well. Um so I'm I'm talking about, you know, Victor Chust, who's who's on loan at Cadiz at the moment. Hugo Guillamon, who's is obviously playing regularly for Valencia, getting yellow cards like they're going out of fashion. Um, you know, Matteo Murray, who who then got a move to, to uh, Borussia Dortmund. Um, Juan Miranda uh, at, at Real Betis. You know, that back four was quite quite established um, at, at that time, especially. And then you've obviously got the likes of Ferran Torres, who was obviously at Valencia at that time and, and was, was quite impressive um, for, for Spain's under-17s, but has now, you know, gone to the, the levels that Phil Foden is at with, with Manchester City. Um Eric Garcia, interestingly enough, was an unused substitute in that final, um, which is no doubt a, a topic we, you want to get into, Steve. Yeah, well, it's pretty much every single one of these players at the time that you've listed were either at Valencia, Barcelona, or Real Madrid. And the pathway since, you've got yeah. uh, Sergio Gomez, who left Barcelona to join Dortmund for a few mil, then didn't really do well at Dortmund, had some loans back to Spain and found himself, instead of playing left wing, playing left back at Anderlecht. Uh, you've got Miranda, who him and Moray were very highly rated. Moray followed Sergio Gomez to Dortmund as well. Uh, Miranda's found himself at Real Betis. Um, then you have, uh, who else? Abel Ruiz, who yeah ended up at, at Braga, but it's probably one of them that you kind of never really saw that progression coming into into senior level and I don't think he's he's doing uh, setting the world on fire at uh, at uh, Braga either but again the amount of quality from that one squad you normally if, under 17 level if you've got you know probably five or six that come become pretty good uh senior pros you'd be happy and there's probably about you know 
eight to ten in the, in their squad. They got you got Cesar Jalabert, who's now gone to uh, Mirandes in the in the second division in Spain, who who's, seems to be doing quite decently there. Um, yeah, incredible squad. But the, it's interesting the different uh, kind of career pathways there in comparison to the, the Premier League ones. I think a lot of these ones, especially the ones at Barcelona in the past, would have probably sifted into the to the first team but a lot of them found their their pathways blocked but they're quickly more than happy to to move on if there there's no pathway or, or go on loan whereas i think the the premier leagues often tend to stay because of the pl2 going up until um under 23s tend to tend to hang around and maybe get stuck a little bit um in under 23 teams if they're if they're not breaking through into the first team which can i think stunt the growth of, of some english players a little bit and I'm sure you have more to say on that, considering you do quite a lot of, of coverage of under 23s with with Leeds. Yeah, I mean, the, I think that's quite quite true. I mean, as soon as you get into that stage where you've got 18 months or 12 months left on your your deal, and you're still playing 23s football, and you're you're maybe 19, 20 years old, you do begin to think like, well, am I just am I going to sign a contract extension with no promise of pathway? And yeah, you make it up the be- numbers. Exactly. And I'm still going to be 23 playing 23s football. You know, that's not what you want to be doing because you're playing against players who are five years your junior or or taking the risk and going on loan. Um, because, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but I understand it from a pragmatic sense. But, you know, some some clubs view their 23s purely just to exist it's it's filler you know if if the first team squad need need a you know need extra bodies then they they can fill in but um you know there are other clubs where you know that there is an actual pathway which has been you know developed and and is used as a selling point um i do i do think that you know i mean we look at the the likes of in that england team um it's george mckechran and naya kirby who were world cup winners with at, at under 17 level they're both still and McEachern, McEachern quite played quite a lot of that. He did, as well. yeah. He wasn't yeah. just one that was sitting on the bench. He was, he was all up in there. And and he, I mean, Chelsea's the perfect example of it. Um, you know, it's do you stick around in the hope that one day you'll be given the opportunity, or do you do you go out and do you chance your arm elsewhere? I mean, you look at that. I mean, we can we can polarize it. McEachern played more football than Conor Gallagher at the, that tournament, and yet look at the progression of Conor Gallagher this season. And you know that's as a result of him going out on some, you know, well managed loans. They were well picked out for him, but he's gone up in in terms of the stature of the clubs he's played for incrementally. You know, Charlton, Swansea, West Brom, now Palace. You know, he's gone from lower lower mid table championship to to top half championship to to lower half Premier League to sort of mid table Premier League, and it's that 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 gradual progression. And he's been integral at every one of those teams he's played out. So. You know the, the crucial thing here is that he's played, uh, whereas George McEachern has been. You know, it's is is I, I I don't want to say stunted because you know you can always these players are obviously very talented and just if they get the right move if they depart at the right time, um, then they could probably resurrect their careers. But it it does make it for an interesting debate when you polarize the this you know the what what's transpired over the past four years and, and two weeks. Yeah, especially when you compare it to other countries that. Um, most other leagues, I'm pretty sure they're under 19s kind of, you know, there's no youth football after under 19 level just about, whereas, yeah, the PL2 kind of stands out as an outlier. But the thing is, is that it seems as though the PL2, basically, if you're good enough at the under 18 Premier League, you're essentially playing PL2. So it's basically mm. just a, a kind of, older filler players plus the best under 18s all in one comp together. So if you're not one of the best under 18s, 
any one of the filler 23s, you're kind of just in a in a bit of a purgatory state at that point. So I guess if it's yeah six years on, how, how long are we on from this World Cup now? Four years. Four. Um, and, you know, McEachran now would probably be 21. So it's not like all is lost. There's plenty exactly, of time yeah. to to progress your career and, and, and take steps forward, even, even at 21. Um, but yeah, every, uh, every year at this stage is, is, you know, making things difficult to, to start breaking through into, into, you know, a premier league level team, for example, where uh, a lot of his peers from, from this team are now. Yeah. I think it would be good to, to get onto sort of some, some of the other players at, at, at this tournament or who were at this tournament uh, from the other countries, um, and I've, I've 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 compiled a little a little things you might have missed list uh, from the Under Seventeen World Cup in 2017 because um, it was you know it's funny now looking back and seeing these names who maybe got sent off or or scored a goal or or were you know left on the bench in this tournament and four years down the line are playing for a super club, um, but Serginio Dest came off the bench and was sent off against England in that quarterfinal uh, for the USA, which I completely completely missed. Um, Ajax's Mohamed Kudus uh, scored a penalty in Ghana's quarterfinal defeat, um, which was a penalty won by Nordzilland's Ibrahim Sadiq. Uh, and obviously, the, the the relationship between Right to Dream and um, and, and FC Nordzilland, uh, which we've, we've profiled in one of the previous handbooks, um, that's quite interesting to see. Given how I think there were three or four Right to Dream players in that under seventeen. World Cup squad for Ghana. Um, one which is quite close to home for me, uh, Ilan Melier, who obviously is number one for Leeds. Uh, he was France's third choice keeper at this tournament, which, I mean, now seems seems a bit seems a bit silly given the the, the progression he's had. Uh, are there any that stand out for you that maybe that you know that other people might have missed, but we kind of remember fondly, Steve? Yeah, well, that France squad was pretty pretty stacked. Um... You had like uh, Maxence Lacroix playing, uh, Maxence Cacare, uh, Yassine Adley was in there, and he did really, really well. Uh, I mean, Guiri. It was kind of when there was the, you know, mm. each nation had the really good attacker. Like Italy had Moise Keane and uh, Moise Ken. Sorry, he's uh, clarified that. <laughs> um, and then uh, Germany had Fiete Arp, who's kind of gone on and not really done anything. Uh, Abel Ruiz was just Abel Ruiz. Uh, Ryan Brewster was at uh, at for England. Um, so all the kind of big European teams had their big name striker, uh, and then Chouameni for France as well. And then I think the the really interesting one for with the French team was um, probably two of their highest rated players going to the tournament were Claudio Gomez, who was at PSG, and Willem Goebbels, who. I uh, was at Lyon and after the tournament, they both ended up leaving and Gomez left on a free transfer to join Man City and Goebbels left for 20 million when uh, Monaco were flush with the Mbappe, Bernardo Silva, Fabinho, Bakayoko cash. Um, and, you know, they were the probably along with uh, Guiri, the, the three big names and those two really have gone on and done very, very little. Um it's a kind of again. It's all about that pathway, and I think if you make that big move a little bit too early in that case, with uh, Goebbels had a fair few injuries. To be fair to him, I think he did his ACL. Uh, but Claudio Gomez got stuck, I think, in that getting stuck yeah. under twenty three's kind of pipeline in England, um, whereas he would have been ready to kind of start breaking into the first team because he was dominating it uh, in the UEFA Youth League at the time as well. Um, 
but yeah, you get you get stuck now. Is at loan in at Barnsley in the in the championship, getting I think not a lot of minutes. Um, but again, he's still twenty one, I believe. So there's still a lot of time to to turn things around and 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 start to get more consistent minutes. But um, you know, when you compare it to the likes of Chuamini, who took a little bit longer to break out, but you know, when he did get his chance, he was ready at senior level to to come in and and, and do a job. Weary the same left a little bit later from Lyon to join Nice and he's playing a key role and, and starring in Ligue 1. Adley the same, stayed at PSG a bit longer, got his move to Bordeaux and now he's uh, off, off to Milan next season. So yeah, it's kind of swings and roundabouts, but this is what I was saying before. You got start to see the trends and um, probably will uh, inform how you analyze other moves of, of younger players in the future, especially that you know, 17, 18 kind of age which is such a, a key moment in a career between leaving junior uh, football and, and going into the senior team uh yeah what what you can expect yeah i don't necessarily think that claudio gomez leaving psg at that point was was a bad move i just think that potentially manchester city as alluring as it was maybe wasn't the best for him because as you were saying you know he was he was dominating midfields and and rightly so you know he was he was a, a very finely honed technical product of, of PSG's academy and you know you you did get the impression that he could have gone somewhere and 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 played regular football even if it was at a not in a top 5 league at 18 19 that doesn't matter he'd still have been getting serious minutes even if he'd gone to Ligue 2 or to Belgium or to the Netherlands but as you say he got stuck and and in his case i think i think if you're an attacking player you can get away with it a bit more um because it's easier to you know, if you're scoring like a million goals a game, uh, it's easier to you know show that you're ready to come into the first team. But in his case, he's a, a holding midfielder, um, and you know it's a lot. And if, so for holding midfielders and say centre backs, for example, or goalkeepers, it's harder as a young player to to come straight in and be trusted at, at senior level. So um, I think that you know that's a kind of whereas compared to some someone like Sancho who left City to go join Dortmund, firstly you're joining a team that's has pathways. Uh, and secondly, you're an attacking player that's absolutely tearing it up at, at youth level. Um, so you're always going to get your chance. Uh, so, and then I think the other thing is, is that you join, you know, that if, if you, you have a little bit of power and you kind of understand as a player what, what role a team has for you when you join, whereas Sancho would have had guarantees of, you know, he's, um, of minutes, uh, whereas, you know, someone like, Claudio Gomez, if he's promised when he's joining is, oh, you know, we're going to put you into the to the under 23s and, you know, when you're ready, we'll progress you into the into the senior team. But if that kind of, if there's a breakdown somewhere, you're not performing at, at, at such a high level at, at junior level, you're not breaking in. Um, yeah, there's going to be some sort of issue for you. Yeah, it's crazy to think, isn't it, that, that Willem Goebbels moved for three times the feed that Sancho moved from City to Dortmund. I am pretty sure he did his ACL, so that yeah, that yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's a big factor. caveat. They bought him and they bought Pietro Pellegri, I think, for yeah. both for about twenty mil, and both of them, I think, I think both of them did ACLs. So it's really, that's just probably yeah. a, a little bit unlucky as well. Yeah, very unfortunate. I think with Pietro Pellegri, he looked like a thirty-year-old man when he was sixteen, though, didn't he? So I can see how yeah. maybe you could have been persuaded. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, other things you might have missed uh, Andres Perea represented Colombia's under-17s at this tournament he's now a full US men's national team international and Jamiton Campas Jamiton yes Jamiton Campas was there well. yeah, yeah now, now of Gremio him quite a lot 
Um, Gremio Weather's a bit of fan trouble recently, <laughs> fair to say. I think he scored on the weekend as well. Oh, really? Hmm, I think he scored that, there goal, you go. Though. You're keeping your eye on South American stuff. I know I just had Tim Vickery on the podcast, but... You know, hey, you've been, uh, you'll be the next <laughs> doing Commonwealth ball updates for me. Um, Steve, you first set eyes on, on Libby Kakash uh, of New Zealand as well. Um, and he's one of the few players who's sort of made it good in Europe since since then, isn't he? I think there's Eli, um, Eli Just, Just yeah. at, or, yeah. Uh, he's doing quite well at uh, in Denmark, I think, in the second division. Um, but yes, Libby, uh, after that, took a, a little while, but broke out into the Wellington Phoenix senior squad, and and pretty much from the get go looked like ready made senior body that can match it physically at A League level. And he's he's taken that. He went with Big Kev Musket to uh, St Troyden, and uh, Kevin Musket lasted about six weeks. But it seems as though <laughs> seems as though Libby Kikachi is yeah been very 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 solid for them. So. There was even at one point a rumor of uh, Juventus trying to sign him for their under twenty three side um, that plays in the in the third division in Italy against senior senior teams. But uh, yeah, he he's been really consistent for them as far as I know, and um, it's probably one that I kind of miss watching from that early because he was yeah always a always a good watch. We we should probably get on to sort of the importance of youth international tournaments now because um, obviously it's us discussing a tournament which we watched. You know, not everybody had access to be able to see to see these games, or not everybody will have been aware that it was going on at the time. But I think just purely from a you know getting in their first perspective, you know, it's it's always good to see these players uh, to chart their and plot their pathways uh, as a result. You know, following these tournaments, um, that's pr- that's one of the main reasons why I, why I've you know engaged with them in recent years, um, especially the under seventeen ones, because the you know you 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 could have you know your Phil Foden's and your Jaden Sancho's going up against you know these players from Mali like Haji Drame uh, and you know Salam Jidu. You know these players were, I mean Haji Drame in particular, he's in Estonia now. I think he's at Pida Linnemuskond uh, in the top flight in Estonia, and he was a player at this tournament you know he was somebody who who really stuck out um and it's it's interesting to think you know that there there is a there's an importance at these youth international tournaments of you know getting the right move what comes afterwards you know whether you are you know whether i mean as, as well as the scouting element it's from a from a pathway perspective as well um you know is is that i mean steve what what was the what was the main motivation for you sort of watching under seventeen tournaments and, and the under twenty World Cup and under nineteen Euros and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I think it just gives you a kind of like a holistic view of um, the start of the pathway. Like, for example, you know, European players are very lucky that basically the yeah. pathway starts and ends in their country, so they do well under seventeen. Uh, walk up, but they don't need to be hunting for a move to Europe to go to an academy and progress that way. Um, I think it's always difficult for African players because you get, firstly, when they perform really well at these tournaments, they're not old enough yet to actually be allowed to move to Europe. Um, so you've got that possibly loss of momentum coming out of these tournaments and then progressing your career. Um, and then it's, yeah, just difficult re- <laughs> relocating your whole your whole career from from say from Africa or from Brazil over over to Europe, so you're always going to lose some talent that just doesn't adapt well to to new surroundings. Um, 
So yeah, in that Mali team, there was quite a few. There was Haji Drame, Salam Judu, who went to to Monaco, and he's still you know playing uh, in their reserves, but really haven't heard anything about what he's been doing. Um, and then there's Jamusa Traore, uh, who ended up in Turkey in their second division, but has been, I'm pretty sure, uh, released since I think about six months ago. Um, but then you got others like Mohamed Kamara, who's now at uh, Salzburg. But the difference is that Salzburg have a really well-established mm. pathway. Um, another one that got uh, has been stuck in Monaco is Eric Aia, who um, played for Ghana and uh, was yeah scoring heaps of goals, playing up front for them. Uh, I think he won the Golden Boot at the under-17 AFCON before this World Cup as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, he's got Georges Mendes as his uh, as his agent, but he's been he's been stuck in Monaco as well. So it's all about landing spots, and I I do think that building of the momentum is a really important one. Like you see someone like Sancho or Hudson Odoi really kind of use the momentum from playing in these tournaments to you know push on and start to get those senior minutes. Whereas yeah, as I said, with that disconnect between you know, you have to turn 18 before you can, you know, go to Europe. And um, if you don't have that momentum, then pushing you and teams haven't seen you play. Like, for example, like there'll be probably players in here that um, by the time they turn 18, no scouts have like really watched them play much football since they played at that under-17 World Cup. So um, it's, yeah, it's such an inexact science, but that's what makes it so interesting, I guess. Yeah, I think you mentioned in George Mendes that, that's that's a different topic altogether. You know the, the the level of representation that some of these players will have. You know that you'll come into this tournament and then you know rightly so you might impress uh, and impress especially from developing nations as you say. You know if you're get if you're not getting adequate representation or representation which is uh, looking out for your best interest, then yeah, you know what you could be used as a, a pawn in a very you know in a much bigger game and you, you know you somebody's sort of. I don't know, piggybacking on, on your own individual success from this tournament if, if you're a player. So I think that that's a separate um, a separate argument. And, you know, for, for somebody like George Mendes, you know, Eric Ayer, is he going to be a top priority now for, for, for George Mendes and, and, and the Gessifut agency? Probably not. But he does have the power to move someone like Ayer around to find him a good destination. Oh, exactly. Probably, well, there's two sides to the that's same the, coin. That's the, that is the beauty of someone like George Mendes, if you're a young player, he has the the power to move you around as he sees fit just about to put you in a better situation. Same with Rayola, I guess. Well, exactly. But then, you know, at the same time, if he's putting you at clubs, I mean, I've, we've seen in recent history, you know, if you're a George Mendes client and, you know, the, I think it was there was a player who's moving to Valencia this summer and uh, Jose Bordelas basically said, no, I do not want him. And there, it kind of was a, was a power play between Mendes and, and Bordelas and eventually Mendes won and he's not really playing very much uh, for for Valencia. And you, you do think, well, I mean, I, I, are you really looking out for my best interest here? Are you really trying to Depends find... Depends what the wage packet is that the player's getting at Valencia. Well, well, exactly, yeah. I mean, it was a loan, so... It's um yeah I, I doubt it was it was that different but you know it's it, it does make you think doesn't it yeah well agents definitely have a important role to play I think there's obviously picking your agent super important and picking your, the destination club in the in the end is mm. super important um as as I said someone like Mohamed Kamara joining 
Salzburg, the development pathway that they have for players coming from Africa, from all over Africa in, in Salzburg is, is, is so successful. It's incredible how many fantastic, you know, Dakar, uh, we've seen... Uh, Mwepu, of course. Mwepu, uh, we, who's uh, got the drug ban at the moment? Uh, Seku Koita. That's it. Um, uh, there's a million others that I can't think of right now. Now they've got Dorgel as well in there. Is it Guindo? Guindo, Guindo yeah. He's, he's coming yeah. through. He signed with two other guys at the same time, didn't he? So, you know, that's a pretty established route to, to take now if you're an African player and you, and, you, and you see that as a potential move for you. Um, you'd almost be silly not to take it, but... It, it's so hard, but because as I said, European players just stay in place, or if something mm. does come up, you ex, you know take advantage of it. But the you know someone from Brazil or from Africa or from Australia or New Zealand or whatever has to get that right move that's perfect and works straight away. So um, it adds another another barrier of difficulty. Although a lot of the Brazil players from from this generation have gone on to do some some pretty good things. So um, yeah, it's just trial and error. Yeah, and and just to finish off, I think that the final reason why we, we we watch these youth international tournaments is is the scouting element because you you see some players that you'd never ever heard of before, and then you follow their pathways. I think it was was it the the Zambia under twenty team in two thousand and seventeen. I know we're kind of veering off a little bit, but you know you Banda. had the Dakas, Emmanuel Banda, uh, Fashion Sakala, who obviously scored a hat trick for for Glasgow Rangers at the at the the weekend. Um, uh, Edward Chilufia, who's who's doing well in in Sweden at the moment you know it's it's good it's it's nice to see these and I think one of one that I always remember is from the t- under 20 world cup in 2019 which was the the hat-trick of hat-tricks from Erling Braut Holland um you know it, coming into that tournament you kind of knew he was one of the names but you know the six months that he had after that incredible wasn't it so the the scouting element getting in early identifying these players and then following and tracking them afterwards is it's great the best part is like when you really pick out one that you like, you really, really enjoyed watching. And then you, because uh, one of my favorites when we watched this tournament uh, that I was all over uh, was Marcos Antonio, who's mm-hmm. now at uh, I was wondering until we, how long it would be until we got to him. <laughs> so, yes, at the time he was, uh, I think it was Atletico Paranense in, um, in Brazil. And kind of took him a little while. Then he moved to Estoril in the second division in Portugal. And I thought, it's a bit of a strange one, but okay, we'll see how we go. And then six months later, um, Shakhtar came in and, and signed him. And it's since then just, yeah, tracking his, his progress at Shakhtar under a few different managers now under Dezerbi. Um Yeah, so when you have a player like that and you kind of see them at the start and then you get to get to follow that that career progress and then they turn out to be uh hopefully anywhere near as good as as you expected that they might become um it's very yeah it's just rewarding i guess it's just yeah gratifying isn't and, it yeah. yeah gratifying then it's not even a thing to gloat but it's just because it's not hard to watch a tournament <laughs> of the best under 17 players in the world and be able to say oh i saw this person play this age and i thought they were good um because you're going to watch this tournament and and see 30 40 players end up being really really good senior players but if there's one particular that you, you know, especially one of the lesser known ones that, that sticks out to you and you get to follow them and, and see them progress, it's, yeah, a very satisfying experience. 
Right, that's all from us. It's a, a shorter episode than usual today, but it is a recap, of course. Uh, thank you to Steve for, for joining me. And, and just before we do go, I think it's probably prudent to, to, to bring up when the next Under-17 World Cup is. Uh, that's 2023 uh, in Peru. So that should be should be very entertaining, very good. Some players who will be there who we, we we haven't even heard of already. So... Um, yeah, the uh... except Warren Zay Emery at PSG, who's been killing right, okay. the UEFA Youth League. <laughs> <laughs> he might be there. He's only fifteen, I think, at the moment. So, unless he's we're already tracking so them, we're already tracking them. <laughs> that's the scouted promise. That's the scouted guarantee. Uh, and then the under twenty World Cup, the next one is in Indonesia in twenty twenty three as well. Um, there were some games taking place in Bali there. So Steve, so you can come down and see me there. You're going to get across for them, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Come, come down. We'll, uh, we'll get the Bali Ultras going. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, this has been the Scouted Football Podcast and uh, a sort of where are they now recap episode on the uh, FIFA Under-17 World Cup from 2017, uh, which England won after a 5-2 win over Spain. But that's all from us on the Scouted Pod. Uh, see you next week. Bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.